Good morning and welcome once again to Christ Community Presbyterian Church. By the way, it is confusing because it's West Springfield Covenant Community Church, Presbyterian Church. So this is why I couldn't remember. It's too close to our own. Um, but anyway, just consider going to that. But we're moving now to the preaching of the word. Uh, we are returning this morning to our study in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Jesus has completed his series of parables by the Sea of Galilee and is now uh, in a boat and he's headed to the other side of the lake. Uh, we'll be reading chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, 35 to 41. You can follow along in your bulletins or you can turn there in your Bibles. Hear God's word. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help in understanding your word this morning. Help us to see Jesus, the Lord of glory, the creator and our redeemer. And let us stand in wonder and awe at him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am infatuated, as many of you know, with sea stories I recently read a history of the Battle of Trafalgar, a famous naval battle fought near uh, the Strait of Gibraltar off the coast of Spain during the Napoleonic Wars, particularly at the very beginning of those wars in the early 19th century. And it was a battle between the British Navy against a combined fleet of the French and Spanish. The British won uh, this massive, really massive, historic Uh, naval battle and horrific in many ways. Thousands of lives were lost in this sea battle. But the interesting thing is that as horrific as the battle was, many of the losses of life came after the battle. For the evening of the battle... Uh, the evening after the battle, as everything had died down and ships were being repaired and tow lines were being rigged and pumps were being exercised and they were starting to make their way, crippled as they were, as many ships were were broken, uh, make their way back to port, a great hurricane arose, which lasted for days. Can you imagine fighting a battle and then facing a hurricane? Many of the ships that were disabled and captured by the British had to be abandoned. They had to to cut the lines and let those ships float on their own. 
because it would bring down their ship as well. Many of those ships, those Spanish and French ships, drifted into shore on the Spanish, the lee shore where there were reefs and were dashed to pieces with the loss of many lives. One eyewitness described their experience on board of one of the ships this way. He said, the hours lagged tediously on and death appeared in each gust of the tempest. In the battle, the chances were equal and it was possible for many to escape. But shipwreck in such a hurricane was certain destruction to all. And the doubtful situation of the ship kept the mind in a perpetual state of terror. Can you imagine? Here were two great navies, the greatest powers of Europe, flexing their military might, and yet they were impotent in the face of a great storm. This morning we are looking at another great sea story. For Jesus' disciples, some of whom were hardened fishermen, it was for them a, a great story, a story for the ages. Now, maybe it's just me um, that there's such an appeal, such an infatuation. And I, so I was starting to wonder, why do I love these stories so much? And I've read a lot of them, many. And I've been pondering this all week. Why am I so obsessed with this? And I've come to the conclusion that it's, it's more than the romantic allure of sort of the high seas and traveling to foreign ports or even the machinations of sailing in boats, which I do love very much. I realized that it is considering the awesome, unpredictable wildness and power of the ocean. That's what I love, contemplating those things. Throughout scriptures, the seas, or waters as it's often described, represent, they have a representative purpose, uh, but they represent untamed chaos. In the very opening verses of Genesis, we're introduced to the mysterious water that covers the formless earth where the spirit was hovering over When God judges the earth, he floods the earth with waters. The great Leviathan, a scary beast of massive proportions described in the book of Job and it's lurking in the deeps. When Moses and the Israelites are delivered from Egypt, they pass through the waters on dry ground. And once again, God appropriates those waters as judgment on the ensuing Egyptian army. The waters... The deep, the oceans, the seas, and the waves are used throughout the poetic and prophetical books to represent all sorts of things, but oftentimes it's evil or darkness or suffering and God's judgment. All the various deeps are scary places, even for the most experienced sailors. A healthy fear is a prerequisite for anyone who spends time on the water. Yet, as scary and as unpredictable as, and as powerful as the seas are, they don't compare with the one who made them. This morning, we are introduced to a terrifying storm, but we're introduced to an even more awesome 
God. And in the face of this God, we are called to bow in that awe and wonder. We are called to fear the Lord and to trust in his name alone. The one whom even the wind and the waves obey. Now, there are three movements in this tiny little text. We'll look at them in turn. One is there's a great storm. The second, there is a great calm. And third, there is a great fear. So three things that we see in the text. And we'll move through these as we consider what it looks like to fear and to trust in the Lord. First, there is a great storm. I'll draw a picture for you of what's happened. We, we can remember back to the previous sermon on this text right before he had been speaking for some time on these parables of the kingdom. And Jesus was exhausted. He was worn out. Uh, do you remember earlier in the Gospel of Mark, in a chapter before, that at one point the crowds were so great by the, the sea that he had asked to be put in a boat that, so that he wouldn't be crushed. And so maybe he's doing something similar here. He's preaching from the boat all day. And finally, he's worn out. And it seems from the text that after he says, let's go across to the other side, it seems that they, that is the disciples, took Jesus with them. It's an interesting thing. He took, they took Jesus and they, they took him and they, they placed him in the stern of the boat, the back, for those land lovers out there, the back, the stern of the boat. And you, you, they put a cushion and they, they laid his head on that cushion and, and you almost get this picture as if the disciples are, are taking great pride and I think in a good sense of for caring for their Lord. Now, on a boat, there's a hierarchy. There are the lowest of the low, the seamen, the the able-bodied, or, you know, not bad, but at the highest of the high is the captain, and there's mates and other things in between. But but here, who's in charge? I don't know if it's Peter. I don't know. Maybe there's multiple boats, so multiple groups of disciples, maybe on different boats. But maybe it's Peter. I'm sure Peter was in Jesus's boat. That's just who he was. And my guess is, as a fisherman, he took charge and he said, this is my boat. I'm in command. I'm going to take care of the Lord. I'm the one who this is my purview. I feel great comfort and confidence in this place. In some way. They probably felt superior to Jesus. Well, Jesus, he's a great preacher. He can heal the sick and the lame and the blind, and he's from God, that's clear. But we know boats. We know boats. They had everything under control, they were in their element. Well, we can feel that way sometimes in our element, right? Certain areas of control that we love, that we have all built up, that we, we know we have great confidence in ourselves in this one area. We may feel completely uh, unconfident, in, unco- not confident in all other areas, but this one area we feel like, I've got this. Until we don't, right? Until we don't. That happened to us. 
We feel in control until we're not. Until everything starts to fall apart around us. Even in those areas where we think we are the master. The captain. Well, sudden storms are always the scariest kind of storm. We're told here that a a storm arose. And the language here says it was a great windstorm. Now, this is my little bit of reading. I think this is not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee, that these storms would come up quickly. And if you've been on the water, when a storm comes up quickly, uh, you you think you, you might have time to adjust, especially in a sailing boat where you can't just... You know, pull the motor and jet to shore really fast. You're kind of at the whim of the wind in those moments. This great storm arose, a mega storm of wind and waves. When I was 14 years old, I got my first sailboat. Um, I spent, I I raised money and I I bought it myself. I was very proud. It wasn't much of a sailboat, but um, it was to me, right? And it was probably a boat that would have been ideal on a pond or a lake. Um, but of course, that wasn't for me. I, my family likes the ocean. So we took that little boat on the ocean. And I, I started to get pretty confident. I was a good sailor. I, you know, I had won some races at camp. And I, I felt like I knew what I was doing. And so I would go out around our, our spot in Maine. And uh, it's open ocean, just so you know. It's open. It's not in a little protected harbor. But it, it goes straight out to sea. And I'm sailing one day. And it was a bit more than my 14-year-old small you know, body in this 14-foot-long sailboat could really handle. And I remember getting out there and thinking, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. It was scary. The wind had kicked up. Maybe it was only 20 or so knots, but for that little boat, it was more than enough. To knock me over. So I would be there trying to make my way upwind. And every time I would come out of the wind and let the sail fill, I found myself knocked flat. I'd be literally standing. The water would be there. My sail would be on the water and I'd be standing flat pulling the, trying to pull the boat back up. And the water in Maine is cold. It's very cold. Anyway sudden storm, and it wasn't even a storm, was extremely scary. How did the disciples react? Because that was nothing compared to what the disciples faced. They they were facing this huge windstorm with standing waves where the waves were starting to come over the sides and fuel the boat. These are seamen. They are fishermen. They spend their life on the water in boats. And how do they respond to this situation? They say to the Lord Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Perishing. They knew the situation that they were in. Where were all those hardened sailors now? The reality is that they were well aware that this boat was sinking. They had no delusions. And it's hard to say whether they came to him for help or simply to rebuke him for sleeping through the storm, Jesus indicates that they lacked faith in some manner. But I think it's important for us to recognize that this storm was not haphazard. 
It was chaotic, it was severe, it was destructive and powerful, but it was not random. It was an occasion. Not only to expose the disciples' lack of faith and their lack of understanding of who Jesus was, which is a constant theme we've seen, we'll continue to see and have seen in the Gospel of Mark, but it's also an opportunity for Jesus to reveal himself, to reveal his power and authority. So this wasn't a random event. It was for Jesus to expose and reveal. Christ used the storm to expose the disciples' fear. On the one hand, we can have great sympathy for the disciples in this moment, right? Their fear was legitimate. The text says that the water was breaking into the boat. Now, Liza and I, another sailing story. Sorry, this is, I don't get these texts that often, but when I do, I take my time. Uh, Liza and I were sailing on a windy day in a small pond a few years back. And we were, we were I was letting her, help at the, she was at the helm with the tiller steering the boat and I was managing the sail. And we were a little off balance because it was a small boat, really meant for a couple kids. And so the boat was maybe a little too bow-heavy, the way we were set in the boat. And all of a sudden, the wind was strong, and the waves were choppy. And all of a sudden, we hit a wave, and the bow of the boat just dove right down into the water. And you can imagine, the water started to flood up into the cockpit, and the water was filling up the cockpit. And Liza and I just both looked back, and we're like, "Uh uh-oh. The good thing is... It was a closed boat, so there was, it, it couldn't sink. We were okay. It wasn't a boat that was going to, it might tip or something, but we were okay. But it's never a good thing when waves break over a boat, particularly this open-style boat that the disciples were in. They had every legitimate reason to be afraid. We can sympathize with that. Yet on the other hand, the disciples had every reason to feel secure. After all, they had in the midst of them the Lord of glory. Jesus was using this storm to reveal that misplaced fear. See, they feared that the wind and the waves more than they feared and trusted the Lord who was resting peacefully in the stern. You see, they didn't see him for who he was. I wonder if we view the terrors of this world as greater than our God. I can't help but think of the most pressing terror in our moment. Something kind of like a storm, but not. Virus. Again, it's not wrong to have a certain healthy dose of fear, to be prepared, to take precautions. And there's a certain healthy fear we need to have in this life, no matter what the situation is, to care for for ourselves, to preserve ourselves. We need to have, that's what fear does. It's protective. But there is also a kind of fear that can grip us, that denies the sovereignty and the love of God. A fear that exposes unbelief. That can consume our thoughts. That instead of driving us to our knees in prayer, drives us to despair. And coronavirus is one thing, but there are other things, aren't there? 
that can so grip our hearts, so overwhelm us, think that, there is, that, that, that we are completely lost, that there is no hope. Maybe you know those types of fears. Crippling fears. When we are despairing, we assume that either God is not in control of our circumstances, or worse, that He is a trifling God who delights in tormenting us. But when we trust God, trust that when He says that He is with us always, that He'll never leave us nor forsake us, that though we are grieved by various trials, that it is for our joy and to strengthen our faith, that in those more terrifying moments, we don't lose heart. Rather, we cast ourselves on Him instead of cast ourselves. And rather, we cast ourselves on Him. Uh, that's our, that's our, our aim. The storm exposed the disciples' fear. It exposed their, their, their sense that they had some control that they had lost. And they failed to see the one who was in control. And that was the other thing that the Lord Jesus did on this occasion. He revealed, Jesus revealed to them that he was the king. This brings me to the second point, the great calm. You can imagine the chaos. Disciples are trying to bail fruitlessly as the boat starts to sink under them. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. The waves are high. The wind is pushing them back. There's chaos. If you've ever been on a boat in a storm, you know the kind of chaos. And in that moment, Jesus commands. He says, peace, be still. He says the wind ceased and there was a great calm. You notice that same word. There was this great storm and then there was this great calm like a father to a child when a dad says, hush, hush. The only difference is that oftentimes when a father says, peace, be still, nothing changes. When the Lord of glory speaks, the wind and the waves bow down. They become still. It's easy to look at the world and all the various natural disasters that have befallen it. Something like Katrina. And to think, wow, creation has such power over us, doesn't it? Why are we so afraid of coronavirus? Because we can't control it. It's because it moves around and we we try to stop it, but it seems to get here and there and everywhere. It's this sense of being out of control, of not having that ability to stop something natural. Creation seems to have this grand power over us. But hear this story. That's, That's the story that is often told to us. But hear the story of Psalm 104. Christ has power over the creation. Psalm 104 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. 
You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it would never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. It's a picture of our creator, God, the one who has all authority to place each piece of creation in its spot. The king, the ruler. Instantly, there was a great calm. One more quick story. I think you've heard it before. There was a day where my family was out on a rough day, too rough Shouldn't have been in it. Included in the roughness was fog and challenges of navigation involved in all of that. And we feared for all sorts of reasons. But it was this amazing thing that as we came out of the fog bank, it felt like we had entered into a new world of calm and peace and serenity. The sea was like glass. The sun was beaming bright. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation with that. Maybe you've been in a hurricane and all of a sudden it's raging around you. And then all of a sudden the eye of that storm passes over. And there's this dead calm, eerie calm. It's sort of surreal. And that's what's going on here. Jesus, there's this raging tempest and all of a sudden, peace, be still. And everything was calm. It's amazing. It's absolutely astounding. One of the challenges of the text is where it sits in redemptive history. We don't necessarily see these massive, miraculous signs of Jesus' power and authority. Of the king ruling over his creation and the chaos and bringing about order in that supernatural way. Often, we don't see that. Occasionally, maybe. Instead, we see a lot of chaos. A lot of disorder. We see storms untamed and devastating. We see viruses spreading across the globe. We see lives being destroyed. Part of the problem is that we live between the cross and glory. The corruption of the fall has so marred our world that death and decay are still in effect. Right? That's that's where we live, in the chaos. But I think part of the problem is that we don't see God's regular, daily, powerful providence. We fail to recognize How our creator and our redeemer sustains us with daily bread. 
How he gives us all that we need for life and godliness. How he works all things together for our good and his glory. Even painful trials and terrors. In other words, we often fail to see the king clearly for who he is. In that story of how I was getting knocked down in the water and I was feeling overwhelmed, eventually I I made my way back to shore and I didn't get in the boat for couple weeks. And what I remember most after that was I remember thinking how big God is, how small I am. Sort of the one of those eye-opening experiences as a teenager, I'm not invincible. Okay? Maybe have those moments. But the other thing that struck me as I reflected back on that story is how God provided for me in that moment. He cared for me through all of that. He gave me the insight on how to get, get back to shore. And these waves weren't that big. The wind wasn't really that strong. I wasn't in that much danger. God provided and cared for me. Friends, do you see? Do you see the wondrous ways in which God brings about that power in those normal, everyday things of life. How he cares for you and provides for you is daily bread. How he cares for you and provides for you friendship and family. How he cares for you and provides for you the most significant thing of all, which is your salvation. That he made peace between you and God. Not that you deserved it, but that he loved you and cared for you and he died for you. Well, when we do catch a vision of our king, it inevitably leads to this final thing, a great fear. The text is full of irony. The disciples take Jesus to the boat. That's ironic. He's their Lord. Jesus sleeps through a massive storm. That's just strange. Lifelong fishermen are scared to death and helpless in a boat. But the biggest irony of all is that the fear that the disciples had in the storm did not compare to the fear that they now had in their God, who was sitting in their boat with them. Truly, this one is God's son. It's hard to imagine seeing God's rule over creation like this. It's hard to imagine because this was a a miraculous event, but this was his whole goal that they they would see and realize not only is God providentially upholding his creation, but he has entered into the world in order to rule over it and to redeem it and to restore it and to make it new. He's saying, I am taking the chaos and I am making it. However you want to put that. No longer chaotic. I'm, I'm making it beautiful. I'm, re- I'm restoring it to its original aim. I'm, I want to cultivate it and grow it into the garden, into the city of my, my redemption. I want people to see that I'm at work. That's what he does here. He comes in, he enters into this world, and he rules over it. 
when he calms the storm or he heals the lame and the sick, when he casts out the demons or when he calls Lazarus to come forth from the grave, when Jesus steps out of the tomb and declares the power of sin and death vanquished, has he not accomplished what he has set out to do? Is this not the work of our creator king? Is there anything he cannot do? Is there anything at all that he cannot do? Who is this? Who is this? And what makes this such a terrifying event for the disciples is that God is in their midst. Do you remember that scene at Mount Sinai? Glory cloud on the mountain, thunder, lightning. And God speaks to the people. What do they do? No, that's too much. They they shrink back in fear and awe and wonder at the, the God who speaks. And here he is in their midst. While this massive power of God is on display in the person of Christ here in the text, he isn't distant. He's there with them. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos, he is there in the weakness of his humanity sleeping, and he is there revealing to them his power of salvation. Fear is a right response to God on account of his power and his holiness and his justice and his righteousness, and we ought to tremble at him. But fear is also a right response to God in Christ on account of Of his love. His being with them. His saving them. His caring for them. Trembling. When we realize. That he gives himself for us. Though we don't deserve his love. So it's a fear that is full of trust. Faith. Jesus questions them after he calmed the storm. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, in the storm, the disciples lost perspective. And that was Jesus' goal that through the trial, he might show them their issue, their lack of faith, to show them that he was to be feared and not their circumstances. Even in negative fear. After abject terror of something, in that moment, it had garnered all their trust in a negative sense. They could believe that they were going to be destroyed. But when, in godly fear, we stand in awe of our Creator and Redeemer, in awe of His power and love, we trust implicitly. Not that we will be destroyed, but that we will be saved. The question for you and for me is, What do we fear most? The world and all its chaos? Is your fear and trust in the power and love of Christ? The one who rules and reigns over this world and over our hearts? The one who entered into the chaos and even overcame sin and death? Do you marvel and wonder at the greatness of that God? Our God. Greater than the seas Greater even than the calm, he alone is to be feared.
you travel to Boston and head to the North Shore along the coast, about 30 miles, you will come to a seaside village. It is home to one of the oldest fishing fleets in the United States, the little town of Gloucester. There's a memorial, which you may have seen in pictures or on the box of Gorton fish sticks, of a man holding a wheel of a ship, bracing himself against the wind and wearing his foul weather gear. And on this memorial, the plaque reads, Memorial to the Gloucester Fisherman, August 23rd, 1923. And a little further down, a quote from Psalm 107. They that go down to the sea in ships. 1623 to 1923. It was a memorial upon the 300th anniversary of Gloucester that was erected for all the thousands of lost fishermen from the small New England seaport. I want to close with that psalm that they quoted, Psalm 107. Psalm 107, verse 21 says, let, me, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his run, wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works, in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the seas, the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Jesus took them, those disciples, to their safe haven. And isn't it a wondrous truth? matter what comes, though the earth give way, he preserves us.